When it comes to prayer, we want answers. We want answers to our prayers and we want answers to our questions about prayer. What's the point of prayer anyway? Is the point of prayer to get God to do whatever we want Him to do? And why do some prayers seem to be answered immediately and others seem to be ignored for years? Why would God answer what seems like a trivial prayer and not answer the prayer to end starvation? Why would a God who already knows what you are going to ask want you to ask anyway? When are you supposed to act and when do you wait for God to answer your prayers? Well, I met it. Why would a God who is all-powerful bind his own activity at times to whether or not we pray. The earth-shatteringly important result depends on me praying or you praying. Seems hard to believe our prayers could be that important. And yet the Bible says just that. Somehow, some way, even though it's all wrapped up in the sovereignty of God, our prayers matter. And if Jesus was God in the flesh, why in the world was he praying all the time? I mean, did he really need to do that? Was he simply setting the example? Or did his prayers matter? Did his prayers change things? And why did Jesus repeatedly tell us to pray when he knew in our finiteness we would have no clue what we should really pray for. What if our ignorant prayers could bring some unforeseen or disastrous consequence from a global or long-term perspective? I feel certain that my wife has prayed that God would wipe out all the wasps and bees in the world. She has this phobia, and being a praying person, I feel sure she has prayed such a prayer. But without the pollinating works, work of bees, and yes, even wasps, scientists tell us we'd have some pretty major problems, global starvation likely uh, one of them. So what if God answered that particular prayer of St. Christy? I'm kidding, obviously, but is God obligated to do whatever we ask if we have enough faith? Because I think my wife could muster up some pretty good faith to get rid of those wasps. We want answers. What is prayer? Why does it matter? Why should I bother? How do I do it? What should I pray for? What should I not pray for? How often should I pray? How long should I pray? What can I expect from God when I pray? What is the point of prayer? Those are important questions. I hope at least some of them are answered for you in, in this series. But we need to understand one thing from the beginning. There is a mystery to prayer. There's a mystery to prayer because there is a mystery to the one on the other end of our prayers. In this life, we'll never fully understand prayer, just as we'll never fully understand God. The Bible says, Romans eight twenty six. in the same way, the Spirit 
also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Can you see that there's a mystery to prayer? Something happens in prayer that's inexplicable. It's supernatural. This thing that happens can be described as Holy Spirit groanings that are too deep for words. I'm pretty sure that means there's a part of prayer that we're not going to comprehend. The point of prayer is not arrived at by making perfect sense of it. Nor is the point in always receiving that for which we ask. What I'm saying is this. Answers are not the point of prayer. Answers are not the point of prayer. That's a little something to remember from this message. To pray is to hear and be heard by the one and only God of the universe. Wouldn't that really be enough of a point? What other point would prayer need to have? To know that that God, Yahweh God, the creator of heaven and earth, is listening and he cares. And that he longs to hear my voice, my heart, my thoughts. To actually have the ear of the one who created hearing. Just to know that I'm being listened to by one with infinite perspective and wisdom. To know that I matter that much to him. To think that sometimes he might even tweak some part of the future Or do something differently because of my request. That's more than enough to bring me to my knees. And yet even this is not the primary point of prayer. So what is the point? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to briefly touch on six facets of the point of prayer. And then boil it all down to one word. But the first facet of that point is this. To call on the name of the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord is to recognize our need of Him. It's an act of humility. It's a cry for mercy. Recognizing that He is God. To call on Him is to acknowledge that He's our only hope in life and in death. Here's a great example from Psalm 116. I love the Lord for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave come upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Where do you look for help? Who do you call on when you're in trouble? Or do you just try to fix everything yourself? Becoming a praying person means you begin to call on the name of the Lord. In the good times and the bad times. To cry out for mercy, for help. Or even for his favor and blessing. As believers, we ought to be calling on the name of the Lord in our prayers. The second facet of the point of prayer 
is to hear the voice of God. To hear the voice of God. And by the way, there will be an acrostic hidden in your notes today. The first letter of each underlined word will wind up saying something. Later, I may ask how quickly you figured it out. Oh, the suspense. To hear the voice of God, that's a huge part of prayer that we tend to leave out. Again, the psalmist writes, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. By the way, there's kind of a philosophy out there, even in some schools of Christianity where it's like God isn't speaking. He is kind of, he's aloof. I don't think any of you are there, so forget that. You're all good. You know, I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying. For he speaks peace to his people, his faithful ones. Sometimes God wants to speak peace to us, but we aren't listening. Other times he wants to speak conviction for our own good, but we don't hear him. The Bible says all of these things, that God wants to guide us, to comfort us, to teach us, to direct us, to inspire us, and more. But are we really listening to what he is saying? The writer of Hebrews quotes the psalmist saying, Today you must listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts. And I did that from memory because my iPad froze up again. Do not harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. Someone said, God is a gentleman, whereas Satan is not. God will not usually yell at you over the crowd. He often waits for your complete attention before he speaks. I counted 13 passages of scripture that specifically use the phrase, listen to his voice, those words. And there are many verses, more verses that that make the same basic point with different words. Apparently, we cannot expect God to write things in the sky, to send us an email. Uh, Some of you know that show that's on. No, Uh, that that he's not going to... um, Call us on the phone. Uh, you know that you can use the phone to make calls still. Did you know that, millennials? Uh, he's not going to text us or instant message us or make a post on Facebook for us to read. Apparently, there's a need for us to listen carefully when it comes to hearing the spiritual voice of God. Is it not enough to know that God wants to speak to you? Must we try his patience by telling him how? He needs to speak before we'll listen. Who are we to tell God how he should speak? Did, did he make us or did we make him? God is spirit. He speaks spiritually into our spirit. In a world dominated by the physical, we're going to have to make an effort to really hear the voice of God. I'm telling you, it takes effort. It takes significant effort to hear God. If you're waiting for him to break through and drown out everything else with some kind of booming pronouncement, you probably won't ever hear him. We'll talk more about that throughout the series. The third facet of the point of prayer is this, to ask God for all your needs. For most of us, our problem is not that we ask God to do too much. We don't ever ask God to do anything specific. It's like we don't want to bother God with the details of our lives. 
Maybe some of us are just so logical that we're afraid to ask God for fear of unintended results. Or for many of us, it's because we figure he knows already, so why bother? But Jesus said this, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the door will be opened to everyone who knocks. Parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now, there are some obvious limits to what Jesus is saying here. What if your three-year-old child doesn't ask for food, but instead asks for a loaded weapon? Well, obviously, you aren't going to give her what she asked for in that case. And if one of God's children asks him to, say, do away with gravity for a few minutes, he's simply not going to grant that request. We don't need to worry about asking for the wrong thing any more than we need to worry about God giving us the wrong thing. He is a good father. Prominent physicists believe that the flap of one butterfly's wings is added to the list of causes that makes wind move halfway across the world. Since every action has a reaction, just think of how many actions happened on this planet in the last two seconds. And think about the reactions to those actions, and those reactions are in turn actions which cause other reactions. And this has been going on since the creation of the universe, throughout the universe. The complexity of cause and effect is well beyond our ability to comprehend. And if it's true for millions of butterfly wings, how true would it be if God answered all of our prayers just the way we want at just the time we want? If, I wonder if God answered prayers like that even for one second. If in that one second the universe would just fly apart because of the complexity of cause and effect. But again, getting what we want when we want it is not the point of prayer. And this is not even the reason God wants us to ask. In spite of not always getting what we want when we want it, God still wants us to keep on asking for specific things. He told us to keep on asking. Sent Jesus down here to tell us that. In His model prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer, Jesus even taught us to ask for our daily bread, for sustenance, for things that we take for granted like food and, and water and shelter. Jesus said, ask God for those things and keep on asking. Here's how you should pray. And as I've said, there's more of a point in asking than whether or not He gives us our request. Here's a hint. It's about the relationship. We'll also talk more about that throughout the series. Flowing from that, the fourth aspect of the point of prayer is to draw near to God. Anyone think they have the acrostic yet? Don't say it. Just remember when you first had it so we can see who wins because, you know, that's important. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Isn't that it? Just a fantastic promise. 
draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. It's one of my favorite verses to remember. And drawing near to God is such an important aspect of prayer. In fact, if you miss this one, you really do miss the point. But notice the rest of the verse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So it's really hard to draw near to God when your life is full of junk spoken by someone with experience. Oh, you thought I was perfect? <clears throat> Wrong answer. Why is it so hard to draw near to God when your life is full of junk? Because He is holy. That did not change with Jesus. He's still holy. Similarly, when you're double-minded, allowing doubt to reign in your heart, Rather than faith, it's hard to draw near to God. I'd say it's pretty much impossible. That's why many of our times of prayer need to begin with confession. The Bible says, For the law made nothing perfect, and now a better hope, that being grace through Christ, has taken its place. And that is how we draw near to God. See, the only way that any of us can draw near to God is through the cross of Jesus Christ, which is our better hope. Thankfully, this door is always open for anyone willing to walk through it. We draw near to God through our faith in Christ and what He has done for us, which is to cancel the debt of our past, present, and future rebellion against God. Prayer is about drawing near to God. Go through the cross. Number five, to give God everything. Perhaps if you can't come to God with something to give, it could be said you should not come at all. Ancient tradition said, don't go before the king without a gift. If you only ever come to God with a wish list, once again, you are missing the point of prayer. For some of us, it might be a brand new concept to understand that prayer is about giving, not just getting. But what could I possibly give to God, you ask? The answer is simple but difficult. The only thing you have that God values is yourself. That's the only thing you have to give Him. And then an ultimate sense yourself is the only thing he really asks you to give. Everything else you give is only a result of the fact that you've given him, him yourself. Biblical prayer involves surrender. And that's part of the point. Recognizing who he is and who we are. The Bible says, so brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to Him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. A living sacrifice, your life. Give it all to God in prayer. I'm talking about who you are and who you are not. I'm talking about your past, your present, and your future. Come to God in prayer and lay your hopes and dreams down at His feet. Tell him you only want what he wants. Give everything to him, but just not the good, not just the good stuff. 
not just the good parts. He wants it all. Leave your sins and your failures at the foot of the cross. Leave your troubles, your stresses, your problems, your questions, your doubts. Leave it there. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's a pretty good trade-off. You agree? What we give him our heavy burdens, and he gives us rest. But how do we do that? How do we come to him? You know, verses like this. How do we come to him? We do it through prayer. Prayer is really what what a personal relationship with Jesus is all about. We can do that hymn. And he walks with me and he talks with me. Four, I think it was 425 in the hymnal where I grew up. In the garden. It was... A certain age group that was like nine out of ten of them, that was their favorite. <clears throat> and, you know, that's true. I mean, sometimes that this idea of surrender, it, it, a lot of times I think, by the way, I think the deepest place of worship is surrender. That's what we would like people to get to in our times of worship and in your own personal times of worship. I think the deepest place is surrender. And, um thinking of a hymn right now um, since we're in that vein uh, you can sing with me all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all yeah, it's, you know, prayers, uh, songs are, many of our songs are prayers. I would totally encourage you to use songs and psalms in your, in your prayer life. But this idea of surrender in prayer, laying it down. That's what God wants you to do. That's part of the point of prayer. Now, the last facet of the point of prayer that I want to mention is this. To express your emotions to God. To express your emotions to God. I've already mentioned the book of Psalms. As you know, the Psalms are mostly prayers themselves. They're, they're set to music. They were set to music. We've lost the original music. We don't have it anymore. But they were set to music. Uh, but they were prayers. God saw fit to include them in His work. I think one of the reasons He did is to show us examples of how He wants us to pray. And friends, the Psalms include every emotional extreme. I don't know of a Psalm that isn't emotional. There are 150 Psalms. I don't think there's a single one that isn't expressive and passionate and emotional on some kind of level. King David's third Psalm nearly covers the gamut all by itself. Let's see if I can show you. 
Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, oh Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. (sighs) From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Okay. This room is used for drama, so I figured it was appropriate. Um, These days, someone would label King David a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, You know, uh, at the least they'd say he was a bit neurotic. But David wasn't afraid to express emotion to God. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart with all that emotion. Many of our biblical heroes expressed anger to God at one point or another. They got it out. They also expressed jubilation and joy and passionate love to God. Have you ever read the song of Moses? After God delivered the people from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, Moses broke out in a song of unbridled joy right in front of all those people he was trying to lead. Just let it go. He just started dancing and singing to God, and his words were filled with emotion. How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed so hard that the Bible says blood literally leaked from his pores? The agony expressed in his words is palpable. But many today are afraid of emotions, men especially, right? We're notorious. Not always, but often men are worse at this. And regardless, if you don't express your emotions to God, you are missing out. Because when God does stuff in your heart, generally, it is going to be emotional. And if you squelch the emotion, you just might squelch God. Some of you are so afraid of your emotions that you won't let God do anything in your heart for fear You might crack a smile or shed a tear. You're hanging on to your heart with both hands, and you tend to squelch the first thought that might cause you to lose your grip. Don't do that. You must unlearn what you have learned. You're robbing yourself of part of the relationship you could have with Jesus. Some of you need to get alone with God and just cry. That's what you need. You need to cry it out with God. I know I sound like an emo, but I'm serious. 
you all even know what an emo is? Or is that, did that die about 20 years, 10 years ago, 90s? Do you know what an emo is? It was a thing. Okay, forget it. It was a really stupid thing, but anyway. <coughs> Others need to go out on some hillside far from people where no one can hear you and yell at God for a few minutes. You need to express your anger to God. Do it. See if he says anything back. Do it and see if your emotions don't even shift even in the moment. Check the Psalms for appropriate examples. Some of you have never let the joy of the Lord spring up within you until it overflows, ever. You've always been able to hold back the tide. Maybe God wants to anoint you with what the Bible calls the oil of joy. It's where you would be praying and somehow just start smiling, maybe even laughing. But you'd have to allow that to happen by not squelching the first thought that might lead to an emotional reaction. And I'm not talking about anything crazy or contrived or anything that crosses other biblical lines. Galatians chapter 6 tells us one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Every good thing can become a bad thing when it's taken to the extreme. I'm not talking about out-of-control emotions. I'm not talking about manufactured emotions, gross I'm talking about not squelching the normal emotions that God wants you to experience in prayer. That's one of the most important aspects of prayer, expressing emotions to God. He can handle it. Now take a look at the acrostic formed by the first letter of each of the underlined words in your outline. Change. Change. That would have been really funny if what dropped would have been coins. How many of you knew what the word was going to be after the first letter? I mean, you just, be honest now. Anybody after the first letter? When we had the C, you already knew it was going to be change? No? How about the second letter after the H? Oh, for, that's too many. One, two, three, four. I have a prize for you in, in the uh, spirit of Halloween. Can you catch? Let your son catch it. I don't know. Can you catch better than him? Who else? Ah, didn't get there, but one more. And then uh, I only have one more, so I'm not giving it to my wife. So who was the other person? <laughs> we have more at home. <laughs> we, we knew it was one or two. I'm going to put it here, and you guys can fight over it. I'm about to drop it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Two letters, you had it. You probably cheated by looking at the scriptures and stuff that goes with it, but anyway. Yeah, the point of prayer is just this change. When you become a praying person, when you spend enough time in prayer, God will change you. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you know you have some things about yourself that need to change? When you begin to regularly call on the name of the Lord, when you begin to hear the voice of God, when you learn to ask God even for the things you've been taking for granted, when you consistently draw near to God, when you give Him everything, your life, your past, present, and future, when you learn to express your emotions to Him, when you do all those things through regular and consistent times of prayer with God, trust me, you will experience radical life change. 
God wants to change the world. But he has an interesting way of doing that. He does it the same way today as he always has, one person at a time. You've heard the phrase, sometimes seen on bumper stickers, prayer changes things. And that's true, but perhaps more importantly, prayer changes me. So what do you say we start praying more? Church family, let's make a point of it for the next few weeks to establish some new habits. Me and uh, our staff for 40 days got on our knees every day. Um, I wasn't able to get on my knees literally every day with my situation, but we pretty much got on our knees. We prayed every morning. Uh, we, we, we came up with some, uh, some things to pray about. I'm going to actually give you some more instructions next week about some things we could do together. But let's start praying more. Spend more time in prayer. I'll tell you a bit more next week. Would you pray with me now? Lord, thank you for this group that has gathered today, this really, I think, in many ways, core of, of Go Church today. Lord, I know that your vision is for us to reach people for Christ and we want to be very outward and, and thinking about reaching people. But I also know that if we don't have strength and something solid and foundational, um, we, we will not have anything to draw people into. Lord, thank you for days like today. Um, thank you for the foundation that we have for the, the people who have come and the people who have committed to this. Draw us together and draw us to you. As one of my ten major prayers over the last 40 days, uh, one of the ones I can put a check mark, mark by because you've done it, was to, that, that people on the edges, still deciding, still kicking the tires, would, would become part of us. And it has happened inside the 40 days that I prayed that it would happen. And I give you the praise for that. And I think it's happening even more today. You're so good. And you have a plan for Go Church to use us for your glory. And sometimes there's different phases and different seasons. And right now, I see you making a family. And I thank you for that. Keep our hearts outward, even as that happens. Let's keep working, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.